This is Peter Franson from SpiritBlade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit SpiritBlade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spirit Blade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 3. Isaiah leaned forward with a renewed intensity in his eyes. We're the underground liberation. This is a dark time for the world. But God is not without mercy. The World Church of Unity and the Silicate Foundation have seen to it that the truth is hidden from nearly everyone. They have outlawed it in schools, libraries, the media, the entire world network. They don't want anyone to know that there is one way... One truth and one life. They don't want you to know that, apart from the truth, there is no hope for anyone. Merrick sat forward in anticipation, doing his best to look casual. So, what is the truth? Isaiah pulled the data pad in front of him and began tapping as he spoke. Merrick, have you ever heard of a man called Yesu? Yesu? Merrick sounded out. No, I... I don't think so. He wasn't in politics, was he? I'm usually pretty current on that sort of thing. No. The corner of Isaiah's mouth lifted slightly. Not exactly. You see, Yesu was a man that lived in Israel more than 2,000 years ago. He was killed by his own people. But before that happened, in only three years' time, he did and said things that would forever change the makeup of the entire world's culture. He believed in the same God that most Jews once believed in. He taught that this being, this all-powerful creator, is the only God. That's not so unusual, Merrick reasoned. There are people today that believe in just one God. No, Merrick. One God, period. He didn't propose any theories about other gods existing in other planes, dimensions, or spaces that simply do not concern us. He stated that there is only one God in existence anywhere. And this God is not only the only one in existence now, but has been in all eternity past and will be in all eternity to come. Merrick looked puzzled. Just just one? That's it? No brothers or family of any kind? What about all the other gods that people believe in? What about all the sincere people in the world that love their beliefs and have just as real a commitment as you? You're telling me they're just... Wrong, Merrick. I'm telling you, they are all wrong. He could see Merrick squirming in his chair. They've made it a dirty word, haven't they, Merrick? So vile that when you say it, you almost expect government troops to come bursting in to bring you up on charges. But how can everyone be right when each person believes in something so different from the next? Well, most believe in a god of some kind, and most want to be good. That that, that seems similar enough to me. No, Merrick. Don't let the system do the thinking for you. Run it through your mind. You're allowing the opinion of the majority to determine what absolute truth is. But because everyone has a common belief does not make it true... Wait, wait. Merrick shook his head in confusion. Are you saying now that there is no God? No. What I'm saying is that truth is determined by the use of evidence, by the reasoning of the human mind, by a process of thinking that has virtually been outlawed. Merrick paused and looked again at the two men he had come in with. 
Vincent polished the hilt of a sword that wasn't there, and Ran was dabbing up the last traces of the slime he had been covered with. Yeah, Merrick thought. Lots of level-headed thinkers at this party. So, what evidence did this guy, Yesu, give to his audience? Isaiah finished making some adjustments to the pad and slid it back over to Merrick, pointing to the small screen. There are a great deal of historical accounts that make references to amazing feats he performed in front of vast audiences. Matter reproduction, human cell regeneration, weather control, telekinetic suspension over a large body of water. Pretty impressive resume, Merrick said, unsure himself whether he was being sarcastic or not. That's not the end of it, Merrick. Isaiah pressed a final key on the pad, and a new file scrolled down in front of Merrick's eyes. Merrick examined the information for a moment, reading it twice to assure himself of what he saw. Thirty-six hours? You're saying this guy was dead for thirty-six hours, and then just regenerated his own tissue and walked away? I'm not saying it, Merrick. He tapped the console again in reference. History is saying it. Okay, Merrick started processing new information. So, how does he fit into what you guys are doing? What makes this whole thing down here a liberation? It's the liberation of mankind, Merrick. That was Yesu's purpose in life. So what happened? When did he eventually die for good? He didn't. He transported himself to his home, a place called Paradisia. Some say it surrounds us, extending out from the farthest rim of the universe. But for those who follow Yesu, it is only an instant away. The only reason he died to begin with was for the sake of justice. Horrible deeds have been committed on this planet in all of man's years ruling it. God, who has done no wrong, is the only one capable of judging it fairly. But because he felt so passionate about humans, he made a sacrifice of his own so that justice would be satisfied. He chose not to punish them, but instead to come down and reveal himself to them by taking the form of a man. And we have reason to believe that Yesu was that man. He showed them his character, his love, and ultimately, by dying, his willingness to do anything to be accepted by them. In the end, though, he left the choice up to them, to all of us. We can choose to accept his love, or we can choose to walk our own path, moving through life without purpose or meaning, and stepping into eternity on our own. You know what that life is, just as I did. I'm telling you now that there is a better one. Isaiah slowly eased himself back into his chair and allowed Merrick some room to ponder. Merrick could feel something happening in that room. He could feel a kinship with these men, these strangers. He saw in them a security that he wanted, a purpose that he had been craving. But he did not want to make a decision based in temporary emotions. He knew he needed more. What makes you so sure that Yesu was actually who he said he was? Merrick put on a brave face, and although his feelings begged him to do otherwise, he was determined not to believe in this fantasy. Good question. I'm glad you're doing your own thinking now, Isaiah said. If you spend more time with my men, they will show you all the evidence you need. But for tonight, know this, that Yesu was born without the involvement of a man from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from the tribe of Judah, the line of Jesse, and the house of David. 
and he was born in Bethlehem, given gifts from the Magi, and was preceded by a prophet proclaiming his name in the wilderness. He was rejected by the Jews and betrayed by a friend for exactly thirty pieces of silver, which ultimately were thrown to the floor in the house of the Lord. He was forsaken by his disciples, mocked, spat upon, and crucified with thieves. While hanging in crucifixion, his heart literally burst, and his side was pierced, but not one bone in his body was broken. And in death, he was buried in the tomb of a rich man. Okay, you lost me. Why are those things significant? Because, Merrick... They were all written down by men hundreds of years before he was born, describing a savior they all believed would one day come to earth. So you tell me, do you know of anyone that could conceivably plan their lives to match that description? Merrick froze in thought as he scrolled further down on the pad. Archaeological and historical evidence flashed endlessly before him. This wasn't any fantasy, he realized. At the very least, Yesu's life events had a very real basis in fact. There's more still, Isaiah said cryptically. You have yet to understand your role in all of this. Merrick looked at the venerable guide across from him, but was unable to speak. I have dreams, Merrick. Isaiah folded his withered hands in front of him. They began to come to me shortly after the Xenoplague took hold. Although they come in the form of symbols and icons, they are messages, he whispered, about the future. A sharp rapping at the door startled Merrick and instantly put both Vincent and Ran on their guard. Isaiah was the only one present who seemed unsurprised by the intrusion. Vincent carefully opened the door and then resecured the handle of his sword as the young man, David, stepped in among them. I'm sorry to bother you, sirs, but Mr. Daniels... I thought you'd like to know that the Black 42 transport we saw yesterday is parked outside again. Should I send a group to investigate? Isaiah glanced at Ran, who immediately nodded, and followed David outside. Vincent, protective as always, began to follow. No, Vincent. Isaiah gestured for him to hold. Stay here for just a moment longer. He turned to Merrick again with a discomforting sense of urgency in his eyes. We're running out of time, Merrick, so you must listen carefully. He leaned forward and Merrick mirrored his movement. Until only a few weeks ago, I have never had the same dream twice. But I was told in my first dream that when I had experienced one for the seventh time, it would almost immediately come to pass. His eyes burned with feverish intensity and Merrick felt the hair on the back of his neck standing straight. Recently, Merrick, I have been dreaming of a figure with incredible power whose very existence strikes terror in the core of the vilest demon. In my dreams, the figure uses a gigantic scythe to strike down those that oppose him. Although many are simply defeated, others rise up and follow him on his quest to liberate the minds of the world. Merrick, he paused in preparation for his next statement. Merrick's eyes widened as he began to sense what was coming next. Merrick... This evening, just moments before you came, I saw this dream from the seventh time. Merrick silently shook his head in disbelief. It's you, Merrick, Isaiah whispered insistently. You are the scythe. Dirk Anderson knew it also. 
He was told in a vision that he would die in order to lead the scythe to me. Like others here, you know the day of your death, and that knowledge gives you tremendous power. But when the spirit of the Creator comes to you, you will be given power beyond all of us. Merrick, dumbfounded, searched for the words to aid him. When? How will I... When you acknowledge your failings, when you admit to the evil in your life... When you believe and rely on Yesu and the sacrifice he made to liberate you, then, and only then, will the spirit come to you. Merrick backed his stool to the wall and stood. This is... this is going to take some thinking, he said, pacing. Good, Isaiah added. It is important that you make this decision with both your heart and your mind. But be productive with your time in this. As I said, we don't have much left. Before what, Isaiah? Vince asked. For the first time, Merrick sensed insecurity in Vincent's tone. Isaiah only looked at him and smiled softly. He then turned his gaze back to Merrick. Merrick hunched over on the tabletop and let out a chest full of air as he looked Isaiah Daniels dead in the eye. I'm not going to sleep tonight either, am I? Isaiah never answered. Instead, the room was rocked by a massive explosion. The wall behind Isaiah erupted in flames, and a shockwave sent him hurtling across the room and slamming into the wall like a ragdoll as Merrick ducked for cover. Sound the alarm! Vincent screamed. Security breach! Merrick made a dash for the door, but instead was grappled by two strong arms clothed in black, bursting down through the ceiling. They pulled him upward, away from the crumpled form of Isaiah Daniels and Vincent, who looked at him helplessly. Merrick, powerless against his captor, was carried into darkness. Over the chaos of screaming voices and crumbling foundation, Vincent heard the ruby in his leather gauntlet sounding off a shrill, high note. He pinched his left ear closed and held the jewel on his right forearm close to his face. Go! He screamed as he hurried to kneel next to his fallen mentor. Rand's voice shouted through the other end. It's Atlantis! Get Isaiah out of there! I'll be there in a second! Rand's voice cut out and Vincent turned his full attention to Isaiah Daniels, who lay twisted and broken on the floor. His body racked with agonizing pain. The leader of the underground liberation looked around him feverishly, a gurgling of blood replacing any words he might have said. Vincent bent closer to the man who had become a father to thousands of men and hushed him into silence. Don't talk, don't talk, he whispered frantically, unsure what to do next. A violent spasm contorted Isaiah's body further, leaving him finally to fall backward into quietness. His body was completely still, and amidst all the noise, Vincent couldn't verify a heartbeat. So he jerked to a standing position and closed his eyes in focus as he softly whispered, Into your hands, I commit my spirit. A flash of light washed over him and the noise around him was silenced as he entered the invisible world. He swiftly kneeled again near his teacher but turned in horror as a shaft of light rained down from above, covering Isaiah Daniels. An illuminant cloud swirled up from his lifeless body and steadily began to climb the beam of light. No! Vincent screamed, reaching out with intangible arms. Isaiah, we need you! A voice called back to him, shaped in brilliant overtones. Not anymore. David will speak for God now. And soon, Merrick Scythe will lead you. Strike down the demons that oppose him, and soon the spirit will come upon him. The voice trailed off as the ethereal mist ascended into the light and disappeared. Vincent fell to all fours as the weight of his master's death came over him. 
His lower lip began to tremble, but biting it away with gritted teeth, he rose from the floor. Vincent fought off his tears and transformed them into the fire of vengeance. In one silken movement, he turned toward the door, his sword hilt in his hands, and took up a defensive stance. Glowing vapors curled up from around him and concentrated their form into a shining silver blade. Vincent's weapon was reformed and hungry for the blood of demons. Clenching his jaw, he pounced forward, dispersing through the door out into the main hallway. Heavily armored Atlantis security troops were represented on every catwalk, in every doorway, numbering easily three to each member of the Liberation Forces. But more terrifying were the hundreds of demonic creatures slinking across the floor, crawling on the walls, and flying through the air. Middle cast, Vincent thought to himself. This will give me satisfaction. He smiled with a cruel curl on his upper lip. When Merrick regained consciousness, he was still being dragged by his feet across the rooftop of what might have been an industrial factory. Ancient smokestacks and exhaust pipes flew past him as his back slid across the concrete. The night sky above him was being clouded by the smoke that filtered up from the factory, and the moon raced in and out of view. As his senses returned to him, Merrick suddenly remembered his situation. The warehouse, the headquarters, the liberation, and the dark creature who struck from above. Merrick tried to swivel his torso and clawed at the ground in an effort to slow his captor's progress. Instead, the figure stopped completely and dropped Merrick, who scrambled to his feet to face his foe. The striking moonlight helped little in defining the figure in front of him. Covered in secure but loose-fitting black cloth, the apparition stood before him in a combat-ready stance. "'What do you want from me?' Merrick panted, stalling for time to recover. He didn't get it. With lightning speed, the creature shot out its left leg. The blow struck Merrick square in the stomach and sent him sailing backward ten feet. In a tangled roll, his body was wildly battered by the concrete roof, but an abandoned pile of rags next to some canisters of cleaning solution cushioned his head from an impact that would have no doubt rendered him unconscious.' As Merrick lay there dazed, the creature approached him. It advanced with a liquid sleekness that didn't seem humanly possible. Reaching down, it grabbed Merrick by the collar. When it finally spoke, Merrick's suspicions were confirmed. Give me the Anderson files, now! Its voice was a bass or baritone, but with several higher monotones accompanying each vowel. Although he couldn't see the face, Merrick recognized the voice type. It was a Shaden. If you know about the files, then you know they're encrypted. Merrick paused to assure the creature understood. And I don't have the access program. Merrick gambled that he would be useless enough now to be set free. Unfortunately, as the Shaden tightened its grip, Merrick knew that his gamble hadn't paid off. The Shaden warrior extended a blade from a device on its right forearm and slashed at Merrick's throat. But as it passed by his neck, the razor-edged weapon came loose and simply fell out of its housing, clattering to the floor. Both Merrick and the Shaden looked at each other in dumbfounded shock. Merrick massaged his throat. You've got to be glitching me, he breathed in disbelief. The Shaden released Merrick only to spin around and deliver a twisting kick that sent Merrick back several feet again. Merrick recovered quickly and discovered that a mop handle among the cleaning supplies had traveled with him. Grabbing it firmly, he whipped it in front of him like a sword and waved it furiously at his attacker. The Shaden dodged each swing as though clairvoyant and countered with a devastating swipe that broke the weapon in two. Crossing its arms, it grabbed each remaining piece from Merrick and yanked them from his hands by straightening its arms again, forcing Merrick to awkwardly cross his. Kicking Merrick away with its leg, the Shaden simultaneously twirled both halves like batons and launched them through the air at the panicked young man. 
Merrick heard the cloth ripping at his sides as the broken mop fragments caught the arms of his trench coat, missing his skin by centimeters. Off balance again, Merrick flailed his arms to free himself of the wooden obstructions. The Shaden advanced on him once more as Merrick backed into a nearby wall. Freeing himself of one piece of the handle, he tossed it, clattering to the floor, but still struggled with the other. The Shaden breathed a menacing growl as it closed in for the killing blow. With an unearthly cry, it jumped straight up into the air, twisting 360 degrees and came down again with its heel to Merrick's head. Merrick yanked a final time, sending his torso clear of the deadly kick as the wooden handle ripped free of his coat. The concrete masonry behind him shattered, spattering gravel over both of them like buckshot. Ducking past the recovering Shaden, Merrick bolted for a nearby fire ladder. His side was throbbing from the first kick. Turning around to position himself to slide down the railing, Merrick looked up just in time to see the Shaden thrust its arm forward in a throwing motion. Beyond a conscious decision of his own to do so, Merrick slapped his palms together in front of his chest. The Shaden froze in utter amazement. Merrick looked down and saw a deadly-looking blade dripping a black liquid, fitted snugly between his hands. The point was already poking at his shirt. He froze for a moment, speechless. Then, suppressing a laugh, he looked up at the Shaden. <laughs> All right, pal. Merrick eyed the Shaden mischievously. Looks like you're going to have to earn this one. Seething anger burned inside of Vincent as he cut through demon after demon. The upper middle cast staggered away from his blows, while lower middle cast simply evaporated at the touch of his shining blade, sent back to the pit to lick their wounds. Vince knew that striking them down would not destroy them, but defeat by his blade meant they would spend at least 200 years recovering. To an angel, fallen or otherwise, no time at all. But to Vince and the Liberation, a welcome victory, and one less demon for them to worry about. Vince! Rand's voice came in over the communicator again. Is Isaiah out yet? Unable to respond, Vincent turned to avoid the oncoming thrust of a demonic axe, and in his return cut the dark creature's weapon-wielding hand clean off at the wrist. The demon howled in agony and reached down with his remaining hand to recover his blade. Mercilessly, Vincent came down again with his sword and relieved the demon of his other hand as well. The demon shrieked in helpless rage. Without pause, Vincent kicked the axe into the air. Catching it with his free hand, Vincent followed through and used the demon's own weapon of deceit and destruction to remove his head. Rand's voice continued pointlessly to shout into Vincent's mind, hoping to make contact, but Vincent Kraft was far beyond reason. Several demons, alarmed by the fall of their compatriot, attacked Vincent in full fury. Charging from several yards away, a blackened beast came snarling and spitting, only to be stopped short and flung backward by a skilled toss of the obsidian axe Vincent had procured. A second demon moved in from the left, brandishing a sword of his own. Without hesitation, he let loose on Vincent, who matched him blow for blow. The two blades rang percussively as they struck again and again, showering sparks to the floor with each moment of contact. "'Don't I know you, Guardian?' the demon growled as he turned and lanced at Vincent's side. "'No,' Vincent answered, uninterested in banter. He deflected the strike and swung around, sweeping upward across the demon's chest. The demon blocked and continued with his line of questioning. "'I have seen you before, Guardian, but it's been at least a year.' Vincent advanced on the demon, forcing him with blow after blow to stagger backward. If we had met before, demon, you wouldn't be here now. Recovering his stance, the demon deflected Vincent's blows, and several strikes later had forced Vincent back. I never said we'd met, Guardian. I was sent only to watch you. You have quite a following in middle-caste circles. I'm flattered, Vince said with a swipe to the demon's head. 
Don't be, he answered, ducking. He followed up to clash blades near Vincent's head, squinting to avoid the ensuing spark shower. They're competing for the right to kill you and take your sword. Vincent sidestepped and parried. Weren't weapons part of the package when you freaks took up with Lucifer? The demon smiled and shook his head, keeping his sword at the ready. Not the spirit blade. The weapon you wield was forged by the spirit of God. It is sharper than any sword and strikes down all who oppose it. But we will use your father's own power against him and all of his children. Vincent swiftly rang consecutive blows with the creature, then taking up a defensive stance. He noticed that the area around them had suddenly been cleared. So where'd your buddies go? Wouldn't it be easier to take me down if you all team up? The demon stroked the air in front of him with his black, jagged blade. You don't understand, mortal. Only one of us may fight for the blade, and I didn't come just to watch you this time. Metallic boots trampled above them as David and Rand sat huddled underneath the stairwell. Unsuccessful in receiving a response from Vincent, Rand lowered the jewel on his forearm. David turned to meet him with innocent fear in his eyes. This boy, not yet even twenty, possessed power unlike anything the Liberation had ever seen. Ran had not seen it displayed in person, but it was said that when united to the will of Yesu, David could bring to life any event, metaphorical or literal, chronicled in the sacred texts. With a muttered phrase, he could bring down fiery meteors from distant parts of the galaxy and scorch the earth and skies. His power could potentially destroy cities and nations— potentially all life itself. Yet trembling underneath the stairwell, he was still a helpless child. The explosive bursts of pulse rifles sounded in a dozen directions around them. As Rand scanned the main hall, he witnessed the men of the Liberation losing. Losing hope, losing breath, and losing their lives. Fritz! Where's Isaiah? Rand cursed. They're being slaughtered! The exploding pod had taken them both by surprise. As they had stepped outside of the warehouse, the old-fashioned 2042 model transport pod parked at the entrance whirred to life. Light flaring up from the inside had given David and Ran only a second to react. Before they could fully recover their senses, Atlantis security troops had run past them and straight through the security door which had not yet completed its close-down cycle. They knew, Ran muttered. Somehow they knew we were down here. Looking up at David again, Ran accepted the seriousness of the situation. David, we've got to get you out of here. Scanning the chaos, he looked for a window of escape. See those two troopers, he pointed? The ones with the ocular implants. When they advance again... David! He shook the boy who seemed to be staring off into a better world. David, I need you to be with me now, okay? The boy jerked backward as though struck by some unseen blow. Slapping his palms to cover his eyes, he began to moan in terror. David! Rand coursed his hands across David's torso, looking for the wound. David, what's wrong? David released the tension in his body. Removing his hands, he looked up to Ran with tear-filled eyes. Isaiah, Isaiah is dead. What? Ran was at first unsure of what he had heard, but a second look at the boy confirmed it. What? How do you... He was unable to form sentences. Ran's mind was reeling at this new information, but he knew to trust whatever vision David had just experienced. Coldly, Ran thanked his state of shock. There would be time for mourning later, but only if they lived through the now. David, listen, when I say go, we've got to... No, David answered quietly, his back turned to Ran as he hunched over onto himself. Now is the time for vengeance. Ran did a double take, confused at David's sudden change in mood. David, no, God will enact vengeance in his own time. Yes, David answered, his voice taking on a resonance Ran had not heard before. 
David turned to face Rand, bathing him in the spinning emerald light of his eyes. And his time is now. Rand lost his balance and stumbled back into a sitting position. The wrath of an unstoppable power had just surfaced, and a prophet had been born. Rand watched as David slowly rose from his crouched position and stepped out into the main hall. Pulse fire randomly flew around David's body, but any shot that came too close was stifled by a shield of flame that burst in and out of existence to guard the boy from harm. Emerging from his state of shock, Rand jumped back onto his communicator. Vincent! Vince! Listen, if you can hear me, we've got to get the Fritz out of here. David's going to do something... Rand looked again at the boy, David, who slowly advanced to the center of the battle, looking upon the Atlantis troopers around him as though they were insects. Something big, he finished. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Bjorn A. Lin, Unique Tracks, and Dynamedian Royalty Free. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future. A world where the quest for truth is a thing of the past. Look, your truth just isn't true for me, okay? The truth does not require your belief. It simply is, regardless of your personal convictions. I think the world's been blinded, Ebony. Everybody claims to be spiritual, whatever the drac that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Merrick, this is crazy. You can't talk like this. And they'll do anything to keep it out of our future. It's Atlantis! They found us again! An alien race has blessed us with amazing technology. Merrick, the world we live in is incredible. While a race of demons destroys who we are. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vandarius? We shall believe in your blood, humans. <laughs> Brothers, tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. <laughs> Humanity will be wiped from the map of history. We've traveled across our world and even into another. What we can see with our eyes is of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. It is what occurs in the other worlds around us that should have us concerned. What the press just happened? Was that the... The other world. We've been hunted by humans, aliens, and things I don't have a name for. I'm the future, Vincent. The ultimate life form. There's too many of them. One goes down and three more take its place. All because we're looking for the one weapon that can bring an end to this conflict forever. Give me the sword! A weapon known only as the Spirit Blade. Oh, I can feel its power from here. Oh, yeah. Well, tell me what this feels like. For more information, visit spiritblade.net.